Welcome to the Black on Black Education Podcast, where we interview the most brilliant minds and connected hearts to discuss our shared passion for the transformation, the revolution, reimagining, and recreation of education in the Black community. My name is Eva Loren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education and New York City High School teacher. And I'm Jamal Thomas, her partner and dad, education enthusiast, and we're, and we're your, your hosts. Host. Please don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, to enjoy the episode. Peace and love, peace and love, everybody. We are here for another episode of the Black on Black Education Podcast. We're doing things just a little bit different today. <laughs> that our founder, Eva Lorenzine Charles, she's actually going to be joining our Miss, our guest, Precious Williams, to be interviewed today. So um, I will be handling both of those. So, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, you guys already know who Eva is, but Precious, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I am Precious Williamson. I am a first year math teacher in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. And uh, Eva, I guess a quick introduction is in order as well. Uh, well, you know me. Uh, you hear me every week. I'm Eva Lauren Jean Charles, founder of Black on Black Education, host, usually, of the Black on Black Education podcast, and um, a first year teacher in New York City um, at Urban Dove Charter School. All right. So what we wanted to do today um, is have a conversation because Eva and Precious are both first year teachers. And I'm so curious to get their perspective, though I get Eva's often, um, <laughs> on exactly uh, what it's been like being a uh, first year teacher um, during a pandemic. Uh, but the first question I'll ask since uh, it's the new year and, you know, you guys just went back on Monday. Uh, I'm curious. Um, we'll start with you, Precious. Um, how was it coming off a of vacation and then coming back into the classroom or uh, virtual setting, whichever one you are in right now? So hard. Sorry <laughs> to turn off vacation mode and get back into being back in like a teacher mode. Um, yeah, especially since like, again, this is my first year teaching. So last year I was still in college. So for me, technically if I was still in school, we'd still be on break. Yeah. Like two weeks for me is just a tease. Like I'm used to having right. a long break. Right. Got it. Got it. What about you, Eva? No, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like I'm usually in the islands right now, living my best life, still hanging out. So this whole, that little two weeks was nothing. It was not enough. Um, and my students felt the same way. So we came back and we're snailing it um, to get our lives back together. Right. Right. Uh, well, I mean, most people uh, listening probably know this, but we are currently in a global pandemic, um, you know, and so I have to imagine that that changes things a little bit um, for everybody, um, but even more so for somebody like you guys who are, you know, coming into a classroom where you know, you're responsible for these little human beings um, and, and uh, you know, helping to make their lives better. So I want to hear a little bit about, you know, the kickoff of what it's been like uh, to be a first year teacher. And uh, we'll start with you again, Precious. What it's like to be a first-year teacher during a pandemic? Um, honestly, I would probably say it's surreal. Sometimes I don't even feel like I'm really even teaching. Because mm. it's very, it's not what I envision it to be at all. So I do a program called Teach for America. And I did the early admission. So I applied like into my junior year of college. Mm. And so in my head, after I finished my senior year, I was going to be in person in a classroom in front of my students. And this first semester, I've been nothing but in front of my laptop talking to my students hmm. and doing things that you know teachers typically do, but everything's virtual. So I haven't been able to like, really see my coworkers, haven't been able to really see my administrators. Like it's all been virtual, and it's just been kind of like I don't know, a bit hazy. Like I feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions most of the time like i'm not really taking everything in and so like maybe when i get like a long enough break but even during that break i'm still probably not taking all stuff in because i'm thinking like when i'm on break like i'm legit not thinking about school right yeah. right what about you Eva? um well me and precious have a lot in common i am also in teach for america i also applied early decisions so i had a very different outlook on the world when i applied and then when I got in, and then when I actually started teaching, a whole lot changed and happened in the world. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you, I forgot the question. 
Yeah. <laughs> I used to like, it around. Like I was really trying to do it and it, it wasn't working. Just trying to find out what it's like being a first year teacher and how doing so in uh, during the pandemic um, changes things. And I mean, you, you were moving in that direction. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 extraordinarily hard. Um, it's very, 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 very difficult. Um, we're all first year teachers. And I think if some more teachers thought that way, they thought that like right now we're all first year teachers, we'd honestly probably have a better outcome in terms of what's going on right now. We're just trying to recreate what was happening in the classroom and wasn't working, might I add, um, in a virtual context. And it's just, it's not working. There's nothing that we can do to force it to work. And, we're keep, and we keep trying to force it. And so we have school leadership and we have um, policymakers and all these sorts of people who are not in the classroom, who are not living the lives that me and Precious are living every single day, who think that they know best. And, and we're just kind of stuck in the middle and the crossfire of that babysitting kids over Zoom. Um, my kids are not so little. I teach 12th graders in high school and they 120% are over virtual learning. Um, they've disengaged. They're they're not here with us. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's disheartening because I know how much I loved being in school and how fun it was for me. Um, and it hurts and makes me sad to see kids every single day struggle to even get on Zoom, let alone um, get out of bed and do other things because they are just so not being heard, so stuck, and they're just not getting, they're not getting what they need. Um, even from, from those of us who know that what we're doing right now is, is terrible, we're kind of stuck in, a, in between a rock and a, and a hard place. So hard. <laughs> you you actually started to uh, answer my, my next question, and I guess I'll, I'll kick it off to Precious. And that relates to how do you think it's affecting students um, right now? Mm -hmm. So for my students, I teach first grade. So that's, you're just like now getting into school. And for my first graders, they didn't finish kindergarten technically because they got sent home in March. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't even get like a full year of school. You have first graders who are kind of really still kindergartners coming in, trying to teach them all the skills they need to prepare for second grade. Mm -hmm. And that is very difficult because you have your students who are, you know, very adaptable. Like they're taking being virtual in stride. Like they're not necessarily falling behind. Like they're still on pace. And then you have your students who are trying, like they show up and they do their best, but it's very hard to reach them virtually because you can't see them, you can't see what work they're doing at home, you can't do constant practicing with them. And then you have the ones that I have not seen at all. And that's a good other half of my class. I have never seen them pop on. I have no idea what they're doing. And if we were to transition back to the classroom, and for some reason they're not some of the ones to be in the classroom with me, like there's a good chance that they're going to end up repeating the first grade if they don't decide to just push them through to the second grade. And either way, like that's not an ideal thing for anyone that either have you hold held back another year because of something you couldn't control or be pushed forward and you're not ready. Right. It's um, one of those conundrums of all conundrums. There's so many. I use that word a lot when when, when talking about education, because um, I heard somebody you know mention the other day that you know pretty much no matter what, they wanted to make sure that all their children you know move forward after after this year, um, because it's not fair to you know to to hold them back given the um, current circumstance. But you know my what immediately popped into my head was yes and it's not fair to move them forward to, to, to go to another place where they're not yet going to be ready. So um, either one of you guys want to dive a little bit deeper on, on how we solve the conundrum and maybe there, you know, is, is no solution. Well, for me, I mean, that brings us back to conversations we've had on this podcast, right? Um, a, a, a life where school doesn't have grades or grades. Um, because then if we had a system where school didn't have grades, A, B, C, D, E, F, and school didn't have grades for second, third, fourth, fifth, but taught to mastery and taught to project-based learning, then we would have kids who there's no issue with them moving to the next chapter in their education because they would be getting their needs met on an individual basis, if not in a small group sort of sort of um, framework. And so when we keep looking at things from a they have to go from first grade to second grade and learn this math and then this math and then this math. 
Well, then, yeah, we're, we are in a huge conundrum that I 100% don't know how to answer. But if we start to realize, like, okay, we need to start teaching kids to mastery, think about the skills that are necessary in the 21st century, and then make content around that, huh, we would suddenly be doing education the way that kids need it and not the way that... I don't even know what the word is. It's not the way that it's just been done. It's not the status quo. It's not just continuing to do things, you know, the way we're doing them um, because it's the way we're doing them. And then, you know, but, so. but it's also, it's more than that, right? It's money. Yeah. It's choosing it. money over babies. Like right. it's, it's straight up deciding that paying all of these test makers matters more than doing what kids need and only allowing educators who are equipped to do what kids need to come into the classroom and stay there. Like, that's what that is. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, I mean, I think sometimes we, we, we talk about it almost like it's a, what can we do? There's a lot we can do if we, if we uh, wanted to do it and didn't, and weren't more interested in lining the pockets of a, uh, some companies that, um, yeah. Actually, I was thinking of like the opposite. Like, I don't have solutions, but I think my growing concern. That's something I work a lot on in terms of research in college. Is like schools have a pipeline because either way, whether you hold them back or you let them go mm -hmm. forward, there's a big chance that's going to cause a lot of students to start falling into that into the juvenile justice system just because of that. Yeah, students who aren't ready who get pushed to second grade. And probably, depending on their teachers, they're going to keep getting pushed to the next grade and they're not ready because they've never gotten the foundation from kindergarten and first grade because of this pandemic. And then you got kids who are going to be held back who I know at my school already have kids who are, have already been held back. So they're getting held back again, putting them further behind their other classmates and their other peers. And you know, by third grade, you know, we all know if you're aware of the school payment pipeline, that's when they start deciding whether or not you're going to drop out and they need to go ahead and make a spot for you in a cell because that's what they're assuming that you're going to end up heading towards or if you're going to graduate and go on to college and be a productive citizen. Right. Um, right. Exactly. right. Um, wow. I mean, it, it's so, so many challenges. Um, uh, we, we've talked about some of the problems. I do want to want to want to get into. Um, I want to feel some some brightness. You know what I mean. Walk, walk me back to when you guys decided uh, to be teachers and, and what you were filled with um, that led you to say, "Hey, you know what? I think I can go in a classroom and I can put some things in these children's heads and hearts um, that are going to help them grow up to be um, the best possible people they can be." Um, Eva, you can kick it off. Uh, well, it's funny because I decided that I wanted to be a teacher while being a teacher. Um, so I have shared this on the podcast before, but I was working at the Center for Alternative Sentencing and Employment Services in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and they didn't have a teacher at the time. So pretty much education services was like, Eva, go ahead and do that. Um, and three weeks in, I was like, this is the best job I've ever had. And I don't want to, I don't want to do anything else. I, in like a month after that, applied to TFA, changed my major, was just like, this is kind of the place where I'm going because I knew um, that the work I was doing with my population of students was where I wanted to go and where I wanted to head. Um, which is also why I work in the school context that I currently do. Um, and so that was the moment where I realized I wanted to be a teacher. I had really, really awesome kids with children and kids with um, that were older than me and, and, and kids that um, just came from backgrounds that are not, are not upper middle class and white um, and that had dealt with the criminal justice system and were dealing with clawing their way back up to, to getting their high school equivalency and who just as much as any other kid wanted to learn, if not more than the kids I went to high school with, because they didn't want to do anything. Like right. these kids were like, Eva, like, can you text me stuff to, to do? Text me things to, to read, to write. And I was just like, if I can help put that enthusiasm and that excitement into two or three uh, more kids every year um, as a teacher, then like it's, it's, it's worth it. And that's, that's when I signed on the dotted line. <laughs> and Precious, if you can answer the same thing, and I also want you to, in there somewhere, talk about why you specifically chose to um, work with the little, little ones. 
<laughs> so for me, I did a lot of in college. I did a lot of juvenile justice work. So my I did a lot of research in school through pipeline. A lot of my internships revolved around working in juvenile justice system. And probably like again for my research and for my like my internship experience, I realized that education was a big factor. Um, not the only factor, but one of the big factors for why the kids got pushed into like these systems. Like they are not going to schools that are well resourced. They're not getting great teachers, um, and they're not being like empowered with education. So, like I definitely believe education is a tool for liberation, especially for Black and Brown children. Um, not necessarily in the way education is being presented currently, but I do feel like education is a tool of liberation because that's something that no one can take away from you. And education is just what you want it to be, like what you're interested in, what you're passionate about, you know, what you want to do and go out into the world, you know, to, you know, bring more of in or to start representing more of. And so for me, it was being able to go in and empower students to say, hey, like, you know, this is, these are these are things that you want to do. Like, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be a lawyer in order to be seen like smart is important. Like the arts are just as important as STEM. Or, you know, if you want to be a writer, anything like that, like, that's, I think, what motivated me. But also knowing the type of teachers I had that encouraged me and empowered me while I was in school. I didn't have a lot of teachers. So the ones that stood out to me, mm. you know, I remember the feelings they made me feel. They made me feel like I could do something, like I was smart, like I belonged there, like I mattered in their classroom, like my opinions were valued. Um, and those are things that I wanted to bring into my classroom. Now, originally, I didn't want to necessarily work the little, little one. I thought I wanted to be in, like, middle school. So I'm like, that's a good range. Like, that's not only kids kind of going through, like, you know, bodily changes, like puberty. Um, but they're at a point where they can articulate their thoughts in a way where I can understand. I don't necessarily have to sugarcoat anything. Because originally, I wanted to be an ELA, like, middle school teacher. Like, I want to teach English. I want to read books. I want to discuss them, have dialogue, stuff like that. And then my placement put me in, like, first grade in elementary school. And then, like, my school put me in first grade math. So that was the total opposite of what I had planned on doing when I came in. Um, but so far, like, using math as, like, a tool for liberation has been interesting. Because, again, I've always seen, like, literacy being the main component. Because if you can't read, you can't write. And reading also plays a role in being able to do math a little bit too, because of word problems and stuff like that. And so, like, yeah. So originally, I wasn't planning on being a math teacher. I wasn't planning on being first grade. So I'm like, yeah, it's a little bit too little. Like, I can't have these conversations with them. Like, I could with like uh, anyone in sixth to eighth grade. And then high school, they were they that wasn't even an option. I didn't want to do high school. So the, everything you said brings it brings me to uh, brings us to um, you know kind of an elephant in the room. Um, you guys both went through uh, Teach for America. Um, I don't know any all good organizations, and I don't know any all bad organizations. Um, you know, it seems to me that 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 Teach for America is an organization whose heart is in the right place, um, but there's problems, and um, you know, it, it, it's I, I can't make sense of somebody wanting to be an ELA teacher in middle school and how they wind up being the first grade math teacher. You know, that seems like it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm sure they have a reason for it. And then, you know, obviously I know your story, Eva, um, in in terms of winding up in in earth science. Um, Can you guys both speak to um, as gently as you can? (laughs) No, (laughs) however you want, however you'd like to to, to speak to, um, you know, what's been right or wrong about um, how you've been trained to be a teacher. So anybody who's listening who thinks they want to do Teach for America, you will not be trained to be a teacher if you teach for America. Like you don't learn anything about teaching through Teach for America. If anything, it's more leadership development, but they pick leaders. And so you're not really getting leadership development either because a lot of stuff they go over, you know. Like to put it as politely as possible, like they train people who – went to college and they did not work in diverse communities to get put in diverse communities, barely. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of like a lot of what their summer training is, a lot of their workshop is, a lot of implicit bias training, a lot of, you know, identifying prejudice, kind of, you know, identifying different marginalized groups, 
you know, basically how to be an ally, you know, how to acknowledge your white privilege. Like a lot of it is catered to um, like privileged, like white college grads. Yeah. So a lot of marginalized people who come in to teach for America, like black and brown college grads, a lot of this stuff is, I wouldn't say redundant because there are some of us who do need that, but it's not necessarily something that's very helpful in terms of getting us ready to be in the classroom. Yeah. Uh, for me, it, it just connects back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? The same way that you would need to, the, the way that we should have individualized and and specific and clear um, teaching toward where we want our students to go, the same thing needs to be said for how we're going to train the teachers to teach them. Um, and so, like Precious said, we are currently in the program core member of 2020. But Teach for America also says that they care about our opinions and they want to learn, they want to grow, they're committed to DEI, they're committed to um, like growing as an organization in terms of their ability to support low-income communities and communities of color. And so I think it's totally fine for us to criticize the heck out of them because they got a whole lot of work they need to do, right? Um, deciding to go through Teach for America is something that you do when you want to be an educator and you know that that's part of what you want to do for some. Um, for some, it's Teach for America is this really prestigious organization and I didn't get do well enough on my first LSAT and so I need to figure it out so I can go to law school. Um, or I was partying a whole lot my freshman year and so my GPA is not as high as it needed to be because I didn't buckle down. So like to get into med school, I got to beef up this resume. And then for some of us, it is a lifestyle around wanting to make sure that low-income communities and communities of color are given an education that they deserve. Um, and you get stuck, right? Um, you get stuck because then you get placed in school communities that might not be ready to make the changes that need to be made. And so you're one of these like, yeah, Teach for America wants leaders who want racial equity. And then you go somewhere and they're like, oh, we ain't talking about, like we're not, we don't do that in this school. <laughs> so it, 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 it's very much, um, some people will, you will search online and see people talk about Teach for America like it is the best organization in the entire world. They wouldn't want to do anything else but be TFA for life. And then you have people who are like, it is the worst thing to ever happen to America and it should die. And then there are those of us in the middle who have decided to be a part of this organization and need to do the work so that an organization like this doesn't need to exist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because kids shouldn't have to get graduates who just graduated a few months before they're teaching them, who don't have a commitment to education, who don't have a commitment to them as individuals um, coming into their school, like that shouldn't be necessary because there are other options. Um, and so, and that's, 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 you got two abolitionist TFA folks over here. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit. And, and, and that's because I do have two, you know, people who, who went through the program. And if I put myself in a kid's shoes, I don't think I would mind you being my first grade math teacher or you being my earth science teacher. Um, well, so I you guys, how they feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you guys, um, you know, I think in, in, in some ways are, you know, are, are the exceptions to, 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 to some of the rule in that regard. So, I guess the direction I'll take it in is, you know, what if what if we had, uh, you know, Teach for Black Kids instead of Teach for America? You know, there was a different organization to, to train up folks um, on, you know, best practices in the classroom. And obviously, you guys, are, you know, you just started and you started in a in a in a in a, in a weird way. Um, so, you know, maybe it's theory for right now, but I want to hear the, hear the theory anyway. Um, what do you think an organization would look like um, that that took you know, kids in, in, in college and, and maybe it wasn't a traditional, you know, teacher teacher training program because, you know, for all intents and purposes, plenty of people come out of those two and are horrible teachers. Facts. So, you know, like, let's not put that all on Teach for America. Yeah. Um, how, how, how do we, how do, what are your thoughts on creating something um, that is, is much more closely aligned with the needs of the student population that you guys are working for, working with? I mean, I can go just from the, the work isn't linear, but it takes more than eight weeks. The work isn't linear, but it takes more than a, I wanna help these people or I want to um, give back to my country. Like it takes more than that to be an educator that changes a student's life. Yeah, that is what we need. We need a coalition of educators, black, white, Muslim, 
Christian, like all creeds have a commitment. LGBTQ, yes, like who have a commitment to changing children's lives. And I don't change, let me stop. I, the content that I teach kids and the structure in which I have to teach them is not changing kids' lives. No, it has, there has to be like an understanding that education is more than what you do in the classroom. It's how it's the policies that are being set up, it's the curriculum that's being taught. Like you have to be committed to being able to say, okay, how am I gonna make this education progressive, culturally relevant to my students? Mm -hmm. You know, it's more than, again, like Eva said, like coming in and saying, I wanna help or I wanna give back. Cause even, you know, we have teachers who look like us who aren't doing a great job either. Right. You know, we have teachers who look like us who aren't coming from the same neighborhoods these kids are coming from. You know, some of them, they that's all the, that's kind of all the relevancy they have with the kids that they just look like them. But they've never had to experience anything that the students have had to experience. Not seeing that that's a requirement, but then that's sort of privilege. And so right. we have a lot of us who some of we don't acknowledge that we do have privilege sometimes as black people because we think that that's only a, you know, only white people can have privilege, but like there's some of us who are in different classes, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like they'll never see me. <laughs> oh man. Um, I lost my notes. Um, but, but you know, you I, I like what you were saying, Precious, and you know, it, it does that make that makes me think about like this world or universe of education, and and there's this you know top down approach that's going on from the you know federal government, and there's a bottom up approach that's going on from you know what you guys are doing in the classroom, and it's such a huge disconnect. Um, and you know, I I, I want to see that disconnect you know bridged. Um, you know, I I think a lot about you know, sort of decentralization and, and, and finding ways that, that um, in smaller settings, um, you know, you, you, you almost do some things that, that are, you know, more innovative, um, but then the top still has to be responsive to saying, oh, that one worked and that one worked and then finding ways to scale it for everybody. And um, yeah, it, it is, um, I, I've heard so many different fantastic opinions um on on the subject um i guess it just has to start to to, to actually happen so um from, from it also you guys has to be a priority yeah right like betsy devos's priority is not the needs of black and brown kids um the priority of of darn near anybody who's been on a federal like been federally a part of um, uh, of education is is making it a prior like the needs of black and brown kids a priority. They're not. No child left behind didn't work. It, like it doesn't work. Testing kids until they cry doesn't work. And let's not make it different. It doesn't work. What What did you say, Preston? Making everything a competition, like making right. you know, making kids mm. like, oh, if you're not making these grades you know, then you're not smart enough or right. you need to work harder. And it's like, that doesn't work. But it's also like, that's not taking into consideration. Everyone learns differently. You know, the way I learned in, in primary, secondary school is not the same way Eva might have learned. You know, we have people who are, they have photogenic memories. Like they really just have to look at something once and they got it. Like sometimes like you have students who legit, they can't explain their answer. They just know how to do it. I know that was me sometimes with math. I couldn't explain my answer, right? but I knew how to get there. It right. didn't make sense. Sometimes it didn't make sense to me, but I got there. And like at the end of the day, that should be the main thing that matters. Not, you know, trying to put down and someone said they have to do this strategy and if they don't do this strategy, then they're getting the answer wrong. Like it's not right. Like right. whose idea was that? <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, I go back and forth over whether these, um, you know, whether it's evil or apathy. You know, whether whether somebody sat there and, you know, like, if we do this, then, you know, you know, or it's just that they're apathetic and, and didn't, you know, let's just not think it through. And, you know, we'll throw this thing out. If it works, it works. Hey, you know, we, we don't care one way or the other. Um, so. It's both and. It's both and for sure. Right. It's evil, straight up, and it's apathy. 
right. both. Right. Yeah, like public education has become something where it's like they try to compete with everyone else in the country without looking at what everyone else around the world's doing. Like they're trying to, I mean, besides trying to privatize it by making, you know, people basically get money for making charter schools and stuff like that, like taking money away from public education. They're also trying to compete with what other countries are doing. And it's like, are you looking at what they're actually doing? Because you have them with different types of schooling. Like they don't go to school all day. They don't go sit in, they don't sit in class for eight hours. Like they don't go to school for five days a week. Like, you know, like if you're trying to compete, like what are you doing to implement some of the stuff that's working for them, you know, to see how can I make the most, you know, most, what's the word? Most efficient, you know. Absolutely. By, know, by, instead of saying that, like we, like that's a huge thing, right? Like thinking we're better all the time. Yeah. All the time. So like you look at someone who comes from a country like Grenada and assume that they don't know how to do this, this, and this because they moved here from Grenada. Like I had a friend who came here on a visa to come to college and was put in like remedial math. And she was like, I was doing this in eighth grade. So like, I'm confused. And it's because their education system and the priority around education and when children learn and what they need to learn is very different than here. But we have this idea that like, no, if you come from a Caribbean developing nation, you come from one of these places, you are already underneath um, these other people or you talk with this accent. So you're already underneath the education that we have here. When she was out here lighting up people in her classes who were struggling when she could have been in calculus because that's what the caliber of education she was receiving. So I think it's also just like exactly what you're saying, consistently thinking that we're better or that we need to only be in competition with and don't need to be. In collaboration. She took it, she did it. Collaboration with other countries. You bring it up makes me think about how a lot of students who are like coming in from immigrant family automatically put in special education classes because they automatically assume that, oh, yeah. they're going to need extra help or that they don't understand what's going on. And really the only thing they need is someone who speaks their language to make sure that they're doing the right thing, but they don't, they don't need to be in those classes, but they're mm. overpopulated by a lot of students who are ESL, um, a lot of black students who they're not, they don't need to be in those classes. They just have, you know, a bit of time like behaviorally but they're not they don't need those classes yeah right. okay okay well i mean lots going wrong lots going wrong um what's going right um in, in your experience so far um it could be a story of, of something that's happened with it with a student that you feel like is you know super duper impact impactful and a, and a walk with them or or it could be it, it could be yours or somebody else's you know in your school you know what, what's happening right in terms of virtual learning um, during the pandemic? I think the, what's going right is that it's giving the opportunity for a lot of younger teachers to really show veteran teachers how technology can be implemented okay. within education. Like there's one particular person at my school, um, we'll say her name is Anderson, and she's always coming up with like some of the best virtual learning tools for her students. She teaches kindergarten, so she teaches the babies. Like they don't know, like they're coming as blank slate. Right. And she's always finding innovative ways to do test testing that's not paper or pencil or Google form. Like she made a way to do like a presentation where they, you know, like, you know, in like games, so like you can click and drag stuff. She's figured out ways to do that. She's mm. figured out ways to insert like audio clips, you know, reading stuff out loud. So just in case again, they're kindergarten, so they really can't read. Um, like how they can hear it and then follow the directions given. Um, I'd like, like to see some of those lessons if if, if at all possible. <laughs> That's yeah, very interesting. To give like you know, and during certain things like you know dancing breaks, like stuff to still make kindergarten fun even though it's virtual. And so it's giving school leaders, it's giving you know people who are making the curriculum like policymakers a chance to see that this could be the new way to push education actually make it progressive to mm. make it innovative to get us back to where everyone else is where all the other countries are because we're finding different ways that we can teach students that does not require them to use pen and paper it does not require them to be constantly tested in a way where it's like 
oh, you got to open up a textbook and do this in a way where it's still allowing them to have their individuality. individuality. Um, those are some of the great things I've seen so far from young students, just the creativity that's come from being virtual. Okay. Yeah. And for me, particularly having older kids, it's giving kids the option. Um, we've talked about this before on the podcast too. Like there are some kids right now that are thriving in a virtual setting with the option of being able to be a little bit more asynchronous and work. Um, I work in the South Bronx. I have a lot of students that are that are low income and they. it's always been a priority for them to help their families. It's always been a priority for them to be responsible and make sure that that, that bills are paid and, and everybody's got their needs met in the household. And now being able to, although we are in a pandemic, work and bring money into the house, but then still complete their work after that, similar to the way a college student would, um, they're being given that increased responsibility of understanding how to work independently, how to develop these skills. And some of them really enjoy it. They like the idea that they can pop in and say, hey, miss, I'm confused about this, this, and this, but I know how to do the rest of myself. I don't want to be baby through it. I want to do it myself. There are some kids who've always been like that. Um, me being one of them, like sometimes I'm like, I don't need this whole lesson. Like, give me the brain pop video, give me the assignment and let me get it done. So I think that there's the, those kids they are thriving in this moment where they're actually given the independence that they needed. Um, but then of course we know that the, the alternative is not working for everyone, but that's definitely something that I'm seeing that's working. Okay. And Precious, you dove into this a little bit um, in, in related to, you know, young teachers helping the, the, you know, the, the older teachers with technology. Um, could you talk to just overall in terms of, you know, you, you as a young teacher, um, any impact that you've been able to have on school leadership and, um, administration in terms of saying, you know what, hey, you know, this is great or this is not so great. Like, have you shared your, your, your opinion with them um, as a young school leader? Um, I've definitely shared it with like my coach in terms like for math in particular, in terms of ways you can go about it. So like we use Engage New York for math. And most of the time it's kind of like, you know, you got to follow the script in order to like get your point across. Um, but through my teaching, I'm very much like a, you know, I use a lot of cartoons, like a lot of stuff that I know the kids watch incorporate into my stuff. Um, there's a lot of times we play a lot of games and like they still make sense, like it's still educational. And I think at least for my coach in particular, like he understands, like he actually like praises, like, you know, me making all these animated presentations when I'm doing my asynchronous, le or yeah, my asynchronous lesson, you know, like, oh, good job using this animation to display, this is how you make a 10, or this is how you take away 10. Um, you know, there's been times where like, I've given out ideas to other teachers about, hey, this is probably a better way to like say something, when it's like the little kids. Because again, like little kids, it's all about, you know, making sure you're staying in a way that's not too complicated for them. Not because they're not smart to understand. Um, but again, you don't want to be too wordy with the little kids. You still mm -hmm. want to enjoy school. School's supposed to be fun. From, I mean, school should always be fun, but especially from K to two, they should be it's really fun. Like it should not feel like school. Yeah. For them. Right. Learning should be fun because that's how you that's how you learn to love it. Right? Yeah. Um, go ahead, Eva. Um, I think, I think I'm a mess. Like, I think there's just so much. Um, I, I definitely am somebody who advocates for myself. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit around and, and wait for someone else to make a decision around whether this is going to work or whether it should work. Um, but I do think that overall, there are ways that school leadership in this moment can be just like you're saying, precious listening to those of us who ding, ding, ding. I have not only been a teacher during a pandemic, I've also been a student during a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and our school leaders for the most part have never been a teacher during a pandemic, nor have they been a student during a pandemic. And so policies get made and, and procedures and protocols get made without taking into account this experience that they have not had. And so I am not saying that those of you who have been in the classroom 15, 20 years deep, shut up and listen. But I'm saying that the way that education should always be collaborative, whether you've been in the, in the classroom for, for um, a week or you've been in the classroom for six years or 12 years or 30, like there should always be this constant sense of I'm trying to increase and be better. And I don't think that like, I think sometimes my biggest issue with 
my school leadership in this moment is there's been a lot of top-down decisions that those of us that are in the trenches like get the email and we're like well I, well I wish there was a survey first like <laughs> you're sitting here like I I don't know if this is going to work out and 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 then and then I I have a very comfortable um working space to be able to like say that to my school leaders so that's really awesome but I think sometimes it's it's a uh, we wouldn't even have to go through that state of anxiety that when you're reading the email, if a lot of what we were doing was, was more collaborative from the, from the start. Yeah. And like to go back off of Eva is like, for me, I sound comfortable with my coach. That's because I'm not comfortable with my school leaders because for me, it's the opposite. Like I am, and I feel like a lot of teachers who've been there even longer than I have, we don't feel like it's safe for us to talk about or give opinions or to say, Hey, like, I think this would be better. Um, just because, it comes across like they may listen or they mm-hmm. may act like they're listening and then they'll throw it back on us somehow. So say we think that we should get more professional development where teachers leave because teachers know what's going on. They know what we need as, as being virtual teachers during a pandemic right now. What do we need right now? And instead of saying, okay, cool. So like let the teacher select who wants to lead a presentation on what, because what's being asked, it's going to become, instead of that, it'll be all right. All the teachers, you know, pick a topic to lead and everyone does a presentation on that topic. And it's like, that's not, that's not what we said. We said we wanted to just lead more professional development. That did not mean we want to make this an assignment for everyone that, that everyone's mm-hmm. forced to take in, right. especially if you don't have anything at the moment that you don't think you could really give to offer that would be helpful. Right. Um, and that's hard. That's hard being in an environment where you don't feel like you can openly give those suggestions. Or when you feel like you're being a first-year teacher, even though technically we're all first-year teachers, because no one's taught during mm-hmm. a pandemic, um, being a first-year teacher is going to limit you from saying anything. Right. And that's what I always have in my mind, too, because I'm like, I just got here. Like, mm-hmm. I I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I got to finish out TFA at the moment. So I got to have enough. I have to make sure I keep this job for another year. Like, I, <laughs> you know, like, I can't do anything to get me sent back home to North Carolina before my two years are up. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That, that's why I like the spirit with which, uh, you know, the Teachers for Good Trouble movement is 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 working with, you know, it's, it's you know, they're not saying, you know, go in and slap the principal and say, you know, <laughs> you know like, yo, I'm here now or anything like that. You know, it's, they're working with it with, with a spirit, you know, that 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 is inspired by Mr. John Lewis. And, you know, what I mean? we have to nudge these things along. You know, we, we can't just accept it. Um, the way that it is, and um, and if the you know the power structure that be, whether it's within the school or within the system, um, they are going to have to listen to us. Period. Yeah. We're not going to shut up. We're not going to go away. They are going to have to um, unlearn some of their their unhealthy ways. Yeah, um, they're going to have to learn some better ones. And there's all kind of wisdom that they can impart um, upon everybody else. We, you know, we we are not you know mushing them and say, you get out of the school and we know better or anything. It, it goes back to what you said earlier that using that word collaborative. Um, if this is about the little boys and little girls um, in, in, inside of, of the room um, and we all are like-hearted in, in that manner and, uh, uh, and and we can all agree on that simple, simple premise, um, then we should all be able to sit down and hash out um, disagreements, agreements, bridge those gaps and do what is best for the babies. And then I think that like the pessimist in me is that there is the unfortunate fact and reality that they are not all for the babies. Yeah. They're not. The people making the decisions, the people implementing the decisions, the people learn, and I'm not talking about my school community in particular, keeping my job, but I am saying in general, there's a lot of people making decisions that are not with the babies at heart, or they have them in their mind, but they have this, we need to coddle you, burp you on the back because you're so sad and poor and Mm. we need to help you. I don't, I don't don't think I ever say help. Like, I don't think with my kids, I ever say, I'm going to help you. I'm going to support you. I got your back. I'm going to text you at night when you're supposed to be doing your work and check in on you. I'll answer your phone call. I'll call your parents. I'm supporting you. 
but I'm not, there's a dip, there's a big difference between like, let me help you. Come here, sweetie. Let me, let me do this. Let me, you need me. No, I'm here to support you in the way that you need to be supported in this moment. So if it's a reminder, I'll do that. If it's a, I need to call dad because unfortunately you're not making the decisions you need to be making right now. And so maybe your Xbox does need to get taken away, but that's me supporting you in getting across the stage in June. Um, and so I think like that, that I like every time you say the hearts and minds and it's beautiful and incredible, but I think every time we have to drop back down <laughs> because unfortunately there are a whole lot of people making choices, making decisions and sitting in the classroom that don't that that don't have that like heart around what our students can achieve, will achieve if we start doing something right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. I mean, we're we're, we're winding down here. Um, I want to end on a on a on a high note. Um. I think there's like three three different things I want to do to finish this. Um, first, I want to hear from both of you guys. You know, your positive, passionate, you know, message. Um, around if we all collectively do the right things, you know, what the future of education looks like. Uh, I'll just lay these all up, um, you know, at the same time. So that's one. Two, um, if there's any questions for me before we go, that's cool. And three, I think we might have some type of announcement to make or something, you know, something we, you know, something special. Um, so, you know, let's, uh, let's, let's get that going. Um, start precious with the- um, I'm Getting good at this new future thing. um honestly i think right now i think most times but i think right now we are at a moment where we really need to envision and seriously envision what education could be and not use what's already been done like we have so much that we could take there's so many places we could take education that's progressive that's accessible that's equitable for everyone, like right in this moment because of this pandemic, like everything's kind of on pause right now. And so it's a great time to really think about what do we want to do when the world's not paused anymore when it comes to education to make it much better than it has been and much better than what it could have been if we did not have this pandemic right now. And so like, that's my thing right now. That's something that I'm thinking about right now too. Like, what can I do to make education better, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a school leader, whether you're into policy, like whether you're a parent, whether you are a student right now, what are some things that you can bring in to education that can help move it in the way that you want to be in the future? You know, if that means no tests, or if that means we take away from being all data, data driven, you know, yeah. we got to test, we got to test to being more whole brain learning, whole brain teaching, focusing on the child, just getting the child to be a great, you know, emotionally intelligent, well-rounded human being. Yes. Like, like what is, what does, what do you want education to look like? Hmm. You know, and how are we going to get there? How are you going to play your part? to get there? Because everyone can play a role. This is not just for teachers. It's not for everyone in education. Yeah. You know, everyone's going to have kids that go through school. Everyone's going to have some type of experience with school. So everyone is affected by this. Yeah. So it's a kind of an all hands on deck. What should we do? But disclaimer, you know, you have an idea. Just because you have an idea does not mean you should be leading the idea, you know, necessarily. But who can you give that idea to? Who? How can you push that in a way that's beneficial, you know, and truly beneficial to the kids, not to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, I would say on that on that last point, you know, it, it goes back to what you said, collaboration. Um, you can co-create an idea with other people. You don't have to do it by yourself. This, yeah. This, yeah, this yeah, is what yeah. the is about. Go ahead, Eva. Absolutely. And I think that like I'm gonna divvy through the three things, but uh I just want people to realize that the things that everything everything that Precious mm-hmm. just said, like it is so necessary for all of us to envision what we want to see the same way we would do for our goals, the same way that we do when we're ready to lose weight, the same way that we're ready to do when we like all the same way that we have to envision, put our minds and like truly visualize what it is that we want on the other side. The same thing has to happen for the education system that we want to see. And that 
like, I mean, the reality is, is that like the only way that it happens if, if we dare to dream big enough, if we dare to dream strong enough, if we dare to dream and then say, okay, this person, this person, this person, this person is getting closer and closer and is aligned with my beliefs in this way. And this person, this person is not. And this person and this person I'm not talking to because they are not where I need to be at. Um, but how do we, again, do that collaboration thing? How do we make community? And so wrapping it around to the last question, we have an announcement. If you are not following Black on Black Education on Instagram, then you might not know that yesterday we officially, we're recording this a Tuesday before it comes out, but we officially are announcing the Black on Black Education Conference, which is coming to you February 23rd, 24th, 25th, and 27th of February, 2021. And so like the collaboration, the conversation, the envisioning, the everything that we just communicated about for the last 50 minutes and 16 seconds um, has all been about just that. How do we come together with like-minded people and people who might not be where we are at and believe that there's a system that can exist that cares and loves on our babies and that we believe that we can create it because we decided we were going to. That, that's what the Black on Black Education Conference is about. It's about saying that we want something and then figuring out how to collaborate in small ways and in huge ones to make that system a reality. And so if you have not been on our Instagram, first off, I don't know what you're doing, follow us at Black on Black Ed, but then go to link in our bio or visit www boveconference.com so that you can get your tickets and be a part of the collaboration. Dope, dope, dope. Um, Precious, how about you take us out? Um, any questions, any last thoughts, any last things you'd like uh, you know, everybody to know about you and or the future of education? Um, no, I'm just, honestly, I'm just happy to be here. I'm working on my last brain cell. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Love it. I love it. Uh, well, we, as always, we thank you guys for listening. We, you know, we, we do not take for granted, you know, people who share their time uh, with us. We hope that you have garnered some value from this conversation. I know that I have. Um, look forward to the conference as much as Eva does. Um, and also look forward to talking to you guys again real soon. So on that note, Black on Black Education, out. <laughs> <laughs>